0: I'm Pete McCall. Welcome to episode 78 of All About Fitness. Today in All About Fitness, it's an honor to have Dr. Andy Galpin. He's a director of the Biochemistry and Molecular Exercise Lab at Cal State University Fullerton. Now, what that means is he really digs in deep to understand how the body is working and what's happening to the body when we, when we exercise. So in our conversation today, that's exactly what we talk about. We dig into some of the research. I ask Andy a few questions about how does our body respond to high-intensity training? How does it respond to strength training? And how should we be training for if we want to get the best results? He's also a host of the Body of Knowledge podcast, so if you want to get more resources from Dr. Galpin, they're out there. He's also a co-author of the book Unplugged, which covers how technology is changing our approach to fitness, and we talk about that a little bit today as well. So after a brief word from the sponsor of All About Fitness, Dr. Andy Galpin professor of kinesiology at Cal State Fullerton. Vicor Fitness is the maker of the new TerraCore, which is a step, bench, balance trainer, and multifaceted exercise tool combined into one single platform. Go to vicorefitness.com to see the newest piece of equipment They'll be taking the fitness industry by storm in 2017. Use the code AAF to save 20% on purchasing a TerraCore of your own. TerraCore by Vicor Fitness. Vicor Fitness. Better results from better products. I'm Pete McCall with All About Fitness. I'm on on the line today with Dr. Andy Galpin. Dr. Galpin, can you give us a little bit of background about what you do and, and kind of the role
1: that you play in the fitness industry? Yeah, sure. So uh, I have a PhD in what's called human bioenergetics, and that's you know a fancy way of saying muscle metabolism physiology. You know. And um, you know, I run a research laboratory in what's called the Center for Sport Performance at Cal State Fullerton, and we've got exercise physiology labs, biomechanics labs, and then my expertise is is uh, really muscle physiology. So I take muscle biopsies and I study. Um, down to that cellular molecular level, uh, but really it, it's always about exercise. So we look at things like what, you know, how two different types of training programs influence muscle adaptations and things like that. So it's really a performance and, and fitness based research platform.
0: Well, and I think that's I've I've heard you interviewed on another podcast, and I've I've been reading a little bit of of your work and. And I think it's one of the reasons I wanted to speak with you today because I think it's really interesting that you're looking at the cellular level because I don't think anybody walks into the gym on a Monday saying I'm gonna trade I'm gonna train my cells today but what's going on like what what does exercise
1: how does it influence cell function in the body? Just an overview Well, well I mean the body is really just a reflection of the cell function. So yeah, it's funny that you mentioned it. I would say the same thing, but really, that's exactly all you're doing. So there is no adaptation if there's no cellular change. And so what we're really trying to do is understand um, from the practical side. So a lot of coaches and practitioners, and you know, you've had some great ones on your show before. Every you know, great Cook and Dan John, and, and even guys like Dave Donovie and, and Jen Sinkler, these phenomenal practitioners, and they know things like, hey, do this rep range and this type of programming to get this adaptation, but no one understands exactly why it's happening. And so one of the things we try to do is say, okay, coaches, tell me what's working and how it's giving you different results. And now let's try to figure out the mechanisms behind it. Uh, and that's really what we're trying to get after for the most part. So, yeah, the, the cell regulation, um, the, the molecules, and, and I guess maybe the easy way to think about it is, for example, say we identify a certain cell type in your muscle. Or maybe we'll make, I'll make the example easier. Um, maybe you have a certain genetic. Inheritance, And we realize, hey, actually, this type of genetic inheritance responds really well to this type of training, uh, but really doesn't respond well to this type of training. Well, what this maybe could eventually lead us to is much more specific individualization of training prescription. Uh, and that's really what we're trying to get at. Now, we're, we're very far way away from that, but that's the type of stuff we hope to get to is you, know, you could do a simple test of your saliva maybe. And we go, oh, you know what, the reason why you're not responding very well is you actually need more volume. But the reason you're not responding well is you need more intensity, whatever it happens to be. So that's the type of stuff we're trying to get to. Well, I think that's
0: important, and, and I'll just use um, you know the example that, that I know really well is my wife grew up uh, cross country skiing in Alaska, and she is. Um, hmm. and so what I'll have you talk about real quick is muscle fiber physiology, because I always joke that she is type one fiber dominant, meaning that mm-hmm. she can go out and do a, you know a, a steady state, you know low, you know relatively low to moderate intensity and continue that for hours, whereas, you know, and, and trust me, I'm not fast, many ways, stretch, or form, <laughs> but I'm much more type 2 fiber dominant, meaning I could run 110 meter or 100, 100 meter sprints before I go out and doing a, a 10K, you know, and so what's the, what's the difference between like a type 1 and type 2 muscle fiber, and how, is that, how would that
1: change somebody's response to exercise? So, uh, it's actually, the, the type 1s are often referred to as a slow twitch, and they, they tend to be uh, have more aerobic capacity as you mentioned they're they they, they do not get tired as easy but they don't put out nearly as much power especially relative to size uh, the fast twitch fibers being the, the twos are the inverse right they get tired fast but they are much uh, contract a lot more velocity specifically and it actually gets far more complicated than that and um, I don't know how much you want to go into it but there's also in between fibers so there are single muscle fibers that are what we call a hybrid so they are they are actually slow twitch and fast twitch at the same time, and then there's even super fast ones, and there's hybrid, fast and super fast hybrids, and, and it's kind of all. About, so it's really actually quite complicated when we get into the details. Uh, the second part of your question, I think, is a bit more interesting, maybe for your audience, which is what's that mean in terms of training? Well, we don't necessarily know. So here's the conundrum that you're going to be put into. Let's say you know you said Pete, you you're a more fast twitch guy. Um, There, okay, so now does that mean that you should train more fast twitch, or does that mean the opposite, right? And so it really comes down to coaching philosophy, and it's like, well, what's the purpose? If you do have more fast twitch fibers, you're going to respond probably better to more explosive heavy lifting, right? Because you've got the cellular makeup to handle these types of exposures. However, one could make the argument, actually, you need to do the opposite because you've got a hole in your physiology, right? You're already good at that. Maybe you should focus on the rank. So it really comes down to what's the application. So for example, if you were getting ready for a weightlifting meet, I would say because you're fast switch dominant, you need to really get focused on the high power, high velocity, low volume stuff. Don't do a ton of reps. You're gonna get fatigued very quick. However, if you were just trying to say, hey, I'm trying to be as well-rounded as possible to to have maximum longevity, then I might say, hey, you've already got the strength and speed and power covered. Maybe do a little bit of the opposite.
0: Well, isn't that why people should change up their workout programs on a somewhat regular basis? I mean, we could go into that there are a myriad of reasons why, but mm-hmm. I think in general what I've seen with, with certain consumers is that they tend to get stuck in the same workout program for a period of time and they wonder why they stop seeing gains. I mean, yeah. is there a benefit from alternating from a heavy weight, low volume, meaning low reps, to a you know, lightweight high volume? I mean, how often should people change a workout program you know, based on trying to get a different adaptation?
1: Yeah, for you know, again it what well, we have think of it this way. On on one end of the spectrum, you've got specificity. And the other end of the spectrum you've got variation. And both of them are important. So if you took somebody who was really over-specified, meaning, you know, they wanted to get better at squatting. So all they did was squat. And variation being on the other end of the spectrum, which is they do random different stuff all the time. They never do the same workout twice, never do the same movement. Well, if somebody really wanted to improve their squat, specificity is going to win there. Doing a bunch of random stuff is not going to really help you. But the other end of the spectrum, if you do that too often, you only get good at that specific thing, and it only lasts so long. I mean, you can look at the Bulgarian system here clearly. Um, you, You can specify like that, but eventually that's going to run out, and you're going to hit a plateau, and you're going to have to start moving towards the other end of the spectrum, which is variation. And the key to being successful with variation is it can't be random. And people mistake or or don't understand the difference between variation and randomization. So variation is a planned difference, right? So I'm specifically doing a different type of movement or a different style for this specific reason. Randomization is, well, I just make up and I do whatever exercise is open because that's the machine that was open when I went to the gym. (laughs) Randomization is not a very good strategy. Um, Variation is good, especially if the goal is not super specific. Again, if you wanna do what I honestly tend to do, I just gave a talk at the NSCA's Personal Trainers Conference, and I'll I'll give you the two-minute version of my hour-long talk. But one of the ones I say is, look, if you actually break down the the goal uh, into each category, that tells you how specific or how varied you should be. And so I'll give you a couple of them. I'm taking you super quick here, but I know. Uh, Just to kind of get the point across. So, for example, if strength is the optimal goal, then probably hedge your bets towards specificity. If fat loss, though, is the goal, probably hedge your bets towards variation. And so you keep all your joints well-rounded and and nothing gets overused uh, because you have to do a lot of volume, a lot of work. If conditioning is the goal, probably hedge your bets towards variation. If having fun and just moving and health, all those things are probably hedged a little bit more towards variation. As you get sport goals, though, or speed goals, for example probably go towards specificity. If you want to grow muscle mass, probably hedge a little bit more towards variation. So it really just depends on where you're at. But the the general question you brought up, I would say generally, I would, I would agree that uh, we need to have a little bit more variation in the training sessions, um, but not be random. So have a purpose always and be very specific with why you're doing what you're doing, both the exercise and how the reps, the sets, uh, but do vary that quite often. Well, and that's, and see, I
0: think that's an important point. And I want to bring up a term in a second that I know you and I will both kind of shrug and roll our eyes at. But what I really think, <laughs> it, what I really think it's important people understand is that doesn't mean that you have to change everything, but maybe for four, no, no, no. yeah, but for four to six weeks, maybe do only barbell. Maybe for four to six weeks, do only dumbbell. I mean. That, and Because I think what a lot of people hear is they hear this term muscle confusion, and they sure. think they need to, you know, that's what I mean. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean yeah. hey, that's, but all it is, I mean, that's nonlinear undulating periodization, and all some company did was they, they took what the science is, and, you know, and that's kind of what you just laid out. They took the science and gave a cool marketing term for that. I mean, totally. is, it, yeah, and is there a benefit, I mean. For doing, you, you talked about some variation and how often should somebody vary, you know, vary a stimulus? Is it a period of days or weeks? Or if you're giving somebody, let's just say giving somebody, an, and I'm not asking you for specific advice for myself, I'll be clear uh, with that. But just like, okay. yeah, but just say you're giving somebody in their 40s, a guy who works at a desk quite a bit and he just wants to, he enjoys working out, wants to work out and stay in shape. Like, what would your suggestion be in terms of just overall variation
1: and how often? So, what I would actually say is don't worry about that so much. Um, there's far more important things than the exact details of what I'm about to tell you. It really doesn't matter that much. What I tend to like to do is I think about these in terms of nodes or, or uh, checkboxes. So you've got four or five boxes to check. If, as long as you check all of them once a week, for that particular person in that instance, the rest of the details matter a lot less. And so the checkboxes would be things like, okay, you should probably do something once a week that is heavy. Okay and then you should probably do that in a bunch of different movement areas so a press a pull uh, an over a horizontal pull an overhead press and all you know things like that a rotation an anti rotation okay you should probably that's one box you should probably do something that requires your heart rate to get very 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 high okay you should probably do something once a week that requires you to sustain a, a submaximal heart rate for 20 30 40 minutes straight Okay. And then you should probably do something once a week that requires your muscles to do something in the neighborhood of 10 to 15 to 20, maybe 30 reps in a row without a break. And if you do that, and if you don't even get all those in in a week, if you get, say, if you look at the whole month and you say, okay, I got three of each across the entire month, then you're probably in a really good spot to to be well-rounded, healthier, probably weight loss off. So outside of that, The next step is, okay, just make sure now you have a reasonable balance. And when I say reasonable, it's it's not perfect. It's not going to be one-to-one-to-one, but have a reasonable balance between how the joints move. So don't do all of your upper body work that is a horizontal press, something like a bench press or a push-up, right? You need to equal that with a horizontal pull, so a bent row or something like that. And then you have to have a vertical press and then a vertical pull. So as long as you have a reasonable balance between how all of your joints are being moved or being asked to move, uh, and again, reasonable is, is very stretchable. Uh, and you do that, then I think for that person, you're going to be in just a fine spot. So that allows you to have a tremendous amount of variation when you go to do the workout. And so I'll just give you maybe a specific example. So maybe Mondays are your strength day. And uh, every Monday you do strength. And so today you go in and you do a deadlift with a bar. Well, maybe next Monday you come in and you do kettlebell swings. Now, is a kettlebell swing and a deadlift the exact same thing? No but they're both kind of hinging. They're both lower body pulling and you could both do them kind of heavy. And then the third Monday you go in and you do a hex bar deadlift. Okay, great. Uh, you can That's a tremendous amount of exercise choice variation, but they're all, you know, lower body pulls. And so you make sure that your back, your hamstring, glutes all got kind of worked there a little bit, but you had a lot of variation and that should keep the joints pretty healthy as long as that overall balance is, is there. So I, I think, those are the things that you should maybe pay attention to those bigger categories and then let the exercise choice uh, for that individual in that circumstance. Um, you can play with it quite a bit.
0: Well, and, and I just want to kind of confirm for for a second here, Andy, this is the first time you and I have spoken, right? I mean, we've never really, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we don't have much of a relationship here. And I, what I love about this though is, is that's very similar to kind of what I've been recommending um, uh-huh, eureka. For, for training. I mean, it just, but that's what I like about this. And when you speak to different people for listeners, you know, when people apply the principles and, and when I heard you interviewed, that's exactly what I heard. When, when, when practitioners apply the principles, we should all be speaking within the same, there's going to be a little bit of variation, but we should all, there should be a, a standard deviation of how we apply it. Cause like, for example, I've, I've, for years I've, I've advocated like, you know, like a three day split. Cause when uh-huh. we, when we all got interested in this, we all picked up a bodybuilding book, right? Sure. Yeah. And and bodybuilding, you do upper body, lower body split. So the three-day split I've been recommending is one day, like heavy external force production. That could be strength or power. Another day, body weight. You do generally come to some kind of body weight. It could be yoga. It could be TRX. It could be dance, Zumba class. And then a third day, you do some type of metabolic conditioning, whether you're doing steady state or high intensity, but that's been the three-day split. And if you get one of those a week, just like you just said, you're on a pretty good track. If you do two a week, then that's even, you know, can, can be more consistent. So that's what, you know, that's, that's what I like about this. When, when you hear that people talk about this is that there should be some consistency among what you're saying and other experts are saying.
1: Yeah, I would, I would agree. It's, um, you know, most of the people that are having either a reasonable prescription or they're not working with a very specific athlete, uh, for the people that are working with your, our practitioners, you're, we're far more aligned with what we're saying than we are not aligned. And, and the differences are probably in that last 5% and probably don't matter. I won't say they don't matter at all, but they don't matter a tremendous amount, especially for the type of person you just laid out. It's like, I don't really care. They matter for nerds like you and I, Pete. And it's like, I want to get into the details here and understand all – but for most people, like, I just want to be healthier and lose a little bit of weight and maybe add some muscle, get a little stronger. I don't think you should even really worry about those those details. Ah, uh, you just get the the big stuff down for the most part, and you're probably going to get get close to where you need to get.
0: Well, and, and let's let's take a let's take a step in that direction because your PhD is in bioenergetics, which is metabolism, and and metabolic conditioning or high intensity interval training has been all the rage a lot all the rage the last few years. What do you think people What do you think people are doing? I kind of want to point out. I don't like to to focus on the negative, but what do you think people are getting wrong with this trend in metabolic conditioning?
1: Yeah, uh, that's that's really good. So I think that stuff is incredibly important, and I think overall that trend is is a good thing um, because of a bunch of reasons. You know, that really started with Marty Gabala and his work. Uh, his fantastic team did a lot of research, and then of course the uh, CrossFit took off and other things like that. So that's fine. Um, the things that people are getting wrong though are generally they're going too hard too often. Uh, you know, they're showing up and trying to crush themselves all the time. And that just is, is not a, a sustainable practice. Uh, and the other one is they get too worried about the detail. So for some god-awful reason, people think that there's a magical number that's 20 on, 15 off, and, and you can't vary from that at all, <laughs> or, or some silliness. Like there, There's there's absolutely no magic at all. 20 on, 40 off. You know, I challenge my class all the time. I, I ask them, like, how many of you have ever done something where you sprint the straightaways on the track and then jog the corners, and like all their hands go up, right? How many of you have ever done Tabata, and all their hands go up? And I'm like, well, what's Tabata? And they'll say blah blah. And I'm like, no. Nope. Like, the, first of all, they didn't even read the original Tabata paper. so not even remotely close to doing the right protocol. That thing's just totally been bastardized. But more importantly, I'm like, how many of you've ever done twenty on twenty off or thirty on thirty off? And all their hands go up. I'm like, how many of you have ever done twenty on forty off? No hands. How many <laughs> have ever done forty on twenty off? No hands. Have I mean, you ever done 15 on 45? No hands. I'm like, wh- why, are you getting, why are you magically caught into like 20 on 20 off? That's what it has to be. like Absolutely no adaptation happens with 20 on 60 off. Come on here, guys. So I think we need to have variation in those things too. So if you do like those intervals but you're getting tired of it and you're like, oh, man, I'm so tired of my seven rounds of 20 on 20 off, change it up. Do 20 on 50 off. Do 50 on 20 off. Those things are all different and they actually work quite a bit different or quite different systems metabolically. Um, so yeah, have more variation there and then just don't bury yourself all the time. Uh, there should be a day where you're improving movement skill. There should be a day when you're actually feeling better when you leave the gym, not smoked every single day. For those of you that work out five, six days a week, if you're leaving the gym, just crushed every day, that's generally not sustainable.
0: And, And that's, that's one of the key themes. I mean, what are, why isn't recovery such an important, um, such an important topic? I was at the, uh, nsca national convention this year for the first time in a couple of years and what i noticed was that about 40 percent maybe of the trade show was, was recovery focused and probably about maybe 20 to 30 percent of the topics in the, in the sessions were, were recovery focused why why is there such an emphasis on recovery and, and what exactly how do you how do you define that and what what's what's a good way to look at
1: that well i think the the real challenge with um recovery is is our lifestyle um we have the physiological mechanisms because the work we're doing, the exercise we're doing is not that really difficult relative to what we can handle physically. The challenge is the fact that we're not having the appropriate lifestyles to match that. So our poor nutrition, our lack of sleep, we're constantly slightly overfed but under nutrient and slightly underslept and over-caffeinated and we're overstimulated and we're over uh, All those things lead to very poor recovery. So now we have to invest these massive uh, – scientific studies and tremendous amount of research and funding to, to figure out new technologies to improve our understanding of recovery when it's actually very, very simple. If you take away all the BS and you actually get back towards a more appropriate lifestyle, that that recovery tends to take care of itself. But because people don't want to do things like that, they're willing to actually spend a tremendous amount of scientific resources to try to optimize and figure all these these recovery hacks when the, the obvious one is standing in front of us. I mean, look at something like sleep. You know, sleep can, can alter testosterone levels, concentrations by somewhere between 20 and 200 percent. Well, I'm telling you right now, if I walk, if I put a Facebook ad up that said, hey, take this new pill I've got, hey, it's it's 50 bucks a month. And I guarantee you a 20 percent increase in testosterone. I mean, I would be a billionaire. <laughs> yeah, right. And when we know that data is right there and we know it is, hey, sleep an extra hour a day and that's right there. Well, people won't pay that. It's crazy. I mean, I could sell that for five thousand dollars a month and people would pay it. So it's things like that where people just don't have a little bit of the the knowledge and discipline to go. You know what? The recovery is right there in front of you. Just take it. And I think that's and I
0: I think that message is getting out there more, especially now that certain high intensity programs have been been a staple now for a number of years. I think people are, are realizing that consumers are realizing that that they can't sustain that high amount of work, and so I think they're starting to kind of to switch gears a little bit or look for. And realize that they can't always train. Now, one thing I want to ask you about is, is getting to the topic of your book a little bit. Your book, Unplugged, was written about fitness technology. How right. do you – do you, do you think that's been a benefit for us? And do you think that people can, can benefit from adding some technology to their, their program?
1: Yeah, and that's really good. So the book is you know Unplugged, evolving from um, evolving from technology to upgrade your fitness, performance, and consciousness. Sorry, I forgot the name of my own book there for a second. (laughs) But really, it's not an anti-tech book, just as you alluded to. It it is a, hey, this is how more appropriately to use technology, and here are the common mistakes, here are the the reasons and ways it actually harms people's performance and ruins their fitness, and here's how to more appropriately use some of them. And 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 I'll give you just a couple, basic ones. So... Uh, a good thing about fitness technologies, whether you're talking about an app on your phone or a watch or a monitor or any of these things, whatever you're using, uh, they can drive things like early excitement. Right? And so someone who's never worked out before just getting in, um, it can improve awareness. So, hey, I wasn't even aware. I thought I was being more physically active than I was, but my watch actually showed I'm only taking 2,000 steps a day and I'm, I'm sitting for 18 hours. That Oh, my God. Okay. And so some people just simply aren't aware of how inactive they are or overactive they are, either way. Um, It can also drive things like accountability, right? And so it's like, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll get my, yeah, I've been working pretty hard this week and then you can look back at your week and go, oh my gosh, really, I haven't done much. Okay. But having said that, almost all the research, and there's been extensive amounts now, have showed that over the long term, over more than two to three months usually, these things almost always fail and oftentimes cause the inverse um, my friend Michelle Ellen um, just came out with this, a new study looking at um, the apps on your phone basically in, in clinical ward patients or in clinical patients and actually those that got a fitness technology for free so that gave them tracking monitors and things like that were twice as likely to increase weight and so, and that's just one example of many, 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 many studies showing a very similar things. So these things actually tend to not only fail, but they can oftentimes cause further weight gain because they de-incentivize uh, you to actually do stuff, and, and they really hurt motivation. You start to feel bad about yourself because you didn't get that 10,000 steps a day. And that thing continually shows, it goes, mm, boom, okay, Pete. You, you, you've you been eating bad food today. Boom! You've been eating bad food today. Bing. You've been eating bad food today. And eventually that leads you into a cycle of going like, well, the hell with it. I'm just not going to.
0: It isn't that funny because that becomes such a very – that we don't think a lot about our psyche. We don't think a lot about the mental aspect of fitness. We talk about the physical aspect. But I think you're right. You know, I'm looking at my – I wear a Polar M400 and I cycle on and off between using it because sometimes I just – Personally, I don't want to have to download it. And, you know, the, the connection right. to the computer apps and all that stuff. Like I get asked quite a bit, what are my favorite fitness apps? And to be honest, you know, the, the low tech thing I've, I've kind of realized and what I like doing and I'll share this with listeners is I take pictures of uh, when I do an interval like workout, like on a mm-hmm. rowing ergometer, say I do five minutes of 30 on 30 off. You know, I take a picture of how many meters I did in the five minutes. And that yep. becomes my that becomes my challenge. For the next time, I'm going to do a five minute thirty on thirty off on a rowing erg. How many right. meters did I go last time? How many meters can I go next time? I mean, so is there a per- can can some tech be used and and
1: do you, oh yeah, is every that- tech can be used and even the the ones the monitors all these can be used and I could give you a thousand stories of people having tremendous success with them. Uh, and so yeah, I want to be extremely clear about that. They absolutely can be helpful. And I think if you're struggling to get started or know someone struggling to get started. And you've tried other things. Absolutely, Try all these things. Try everything you can possibly think of. You never know what's going to be that thing that clicks people and gets them going. But don't become reliant upon the technologies because almost always they fail. And so I think that the blend we try to make in the book is, okay, yes, you know, do whatever. Feel free to explore them. All of them are fair game. Uh, and Tim Ferriss uh, you know, did a section for us at the very end, which is like his top 10 ways how to use these technologies. And so we integrate that stuff in the book. Uh, but what we want to say is as you're going along, make sure that you are now using the technology and using that early motivation and transition that into something that's much more sustainable because being excited to beat the app, being excited to beat the rowing score will work great for two or three or four or five weeks, but you can't beat your rowing score every week for infinity, At at some point it's going to stop. And at some point you're going to get demotivated because you're like, man, I haven't broke my record in six weeks. Yeah, I'm kind of bored of doing this. So we need to make sure that we are actually internalizing a lot of these things that we're doing. So examples of that would be you're using one of these texts to get started and you get really excited and for three or four weeks, you're super motivated. Okay. While we're doing that, let's start paying attention to things like, do you notice how you have more energy throughout the day? Do you notice how you're having better interactions with your kids, how you're not getting as frustrated at work anymore? Do you notice that you're actually now excited to go to exercise instead of hating it? Okay. Do you notice your back feels better now? That little pain in your ankles going away? Hey, this is this is the stuff that's actually sustainable. So when you're not beating the score anymore, you can actually tell. Right, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a new goal, and I'm instead of do uh, uh how many rows I can do and my five rounds of thirty on thirty off, I'll, I'll do another interval thing and I'll set a new standard and then I'll try to beat that one, or I'll pick a new exercise instead of doing on the row, I'll do it somewhere else, and then eventually also start listening to your body and saying, you know what, I really don't feel like hitting that row today, but it's Wednesday's and I do my row test every Wednesday. <sighs> well, boy. You need to start learning to listen to your body and telling the difference between are you just being lazy today, do you just need to suck it up and go do it, or is it like, hey, you're run down today, and I don't care what the app says that or what the monitor says that today's a go day. You need to start listening to your own body and going, you know what, today's a different day. I'm just going to stretch or do mobility or some other thing that's physical. Maybe just go for a walk with my kids or my dog, and tomorrow I'm going to come back and get it, and, and I'll feel better. And that's really what we want people to people that get to is the level where they can really understand their own body, what their body is really telling them. So use the tech to help you get there. But then after that, ditch that shit.
0: And I think that's so important because I do think people get into this idea that they need, they have to exercise. And often, do you think people use exercise as a punishment? Meaning I went out and did this. And and why is that a bad thing?
1: Well, you know, this is really uh, getting a bit out of my area because I'm not a psychologist, even not even a sports psychologist, but (laughs) yeah. You know we can absolutely see that. Um, you know, I do work with a lot of athletes. I work a lot with UFC fighters and Olympic boxers and wrestlers and things like that. And they will use it for punishment, but for different punishment reasons. Um, in other words, going like I had a bad practice and I got to get that taste out of my mouth. Like, oh okay. Or you know they're terrified of the insecurities they have of losing in these big stages, and so they they punish themselves that way, right? They figure if I just beat myself into mental exhaustion, then I don't have to think about the anxiety I have in my, of my match coming up in three weeks or my weight cut or whatever else. So I can speak to those and I've seen that happen plenty. And that just doesn't, that, that, that may pay the short term bills, but the Reaper is going to come eventually. Uh, you're going to break down, you're either going to get injured or you're going to get so dissuaded from exercise. And that's, that's what we want to make sure we avoid is making sure we drive adherence, especially non-professional athletes is key. So we can't get people to that level.
0: Well, don't you think it's important from that that people realize, and, and you know, surprise we haven't mentioned this, that at its basis, exercise is physical stress applied to the body. I yep. mean, I think, don't you think people lose sight of that?
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, if you look at uh, like the, the basics of we've been spending our entire existence as a species, right? However old we are, I don't even know. Uh, the, every single thing we've ever done is meant to do one thing, which is reduce stress. Right. So we learned to build shelter so that we got out of you know temperature stress. We learned to preserve foods so that we weren't going to go hungry. We learned to make tribes so that we didn't have stress of who's going to kill me and not sleep and not things like that. Well, the problem was we always – or it was always a good thing for us to reduce stress until about 20 years ago. And we realized, oh, my God, we've actually done too good of a job of doing that. We have taken so much physical stress out of our life. We've taken so much uh, – food stress out of our life. We've taken so much anxiety out of our life, You know, at least in the developed countries. The, you know We're fortunate here in America to not really have, most of us don't have that much stress in any of those areas. And so we had to re-engineer some manufactured stress and we started calling that exercise. And then we started calling physical activity. And we were, were pretty good about putting back in that need for exercise. But now we're starting to realize, hey, if you sit on your ass 23 hours a day and you have a really great workout you're still actually really probably pretty unhealthy because you've replaced the exercise piece but you haven't replaced the general physical activity piece because we're meant to be moving most of the day and so that part now people have invented stand-up desks and you're seeing walking working treadmills and people are starting to realize that basic physical activity piece is missing and the next one you know we outline our book that we're hoping people to start to realize is okay we we actually we got to start talking about cold stress and hot stress. And we got to start talking about food stress and being a little bit hungry sometimes. And there's a piece that I lay out in there, which is optimization versus adaptation. And if you're trying to optimize things at all times, you're not adapting. Uh, If you're trying to adapt at all times, you're also not gonna ever feel well. So you have to walk a blend of doing things that are difficult and stressing you, because that more stress equals more adaptation. But then matching that with recovery. So, you should go through some periods of maybe a little bit of sleep deprivation, which is what a lot of us do. But you got to match that with sleep recovery. And so, we have a challenge in the book that says something like okay, uh, most of us are probably sleeping an hour or so less a day. And then, what we're doing is we're trying to counterbalance that by loading our souls full of coffee and Adderall and, and stimulants the next day. Well, that's a very, very, very bad cycle to be in. So, it's actually okay. And, and I would Say a good thing to be a little bit sleep deprived for maybe three, four, five, six days. But then match that with sleeping for 10 hours for five days in a row. That's actually probably a pretty healthy cycle to be in is something more like that. And the problem with us is we do a little bit of stress, like a little bit of sleep deprivation, a little bit of physical activity over a long period of time, and we end up running ourselves down. Instead of having these phases where we want to be a little bit stressed, a little bit overworked, and then recover. And this is very, very, you mentioned this at the beginning, but this is very, very, very basic program design stuff. Uh, but it turns out it applies to everything in life.
0: Well, isn't I mean, because what you're talking about then is very important for, say, that, that business. You, know, you have a CFO listening and you're going to do budget making time. You know, Budget yeah. making time is going to be extremely stressful. That may not be the best time to
1: go hammering it hard in the gym, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's, it's exactly right. Um, I mean, you nailed it. It's the same thing. It's like, okay we have different uh, different challenges now, where it says, all right, let, let's say you have that important business thing going on. Well, maybe that's a good time to optimize. So get your 10 hours of sleep that night, uh, get your coffee, do your morning motivation or your meditation or whatever your routine is and have your perfect day. Maybe just go to a recovery yoga class for 20 minutes, whatever it happens to be, whatever makes you feel good. But then there also should be times where you do the opposite, which is, hey, you know what? I've got four or five days here. Maybe I should should challenge myself physically and push it pretty hard here. Instead of laying around this whole week I have off and sleeping and watching Netflix all day, maybe this is a good time to go put on a physical challenge. But yeah, you're right, because stress is stress. It's all cumulative. There's no free passes in physiology. It all counts. So... Yeah, that's a very good point.
0: And I think that's important, you know, for people to realize that, hey, you, when you know you're going to be busy at work, when you know, because we're coming up, I mean, I try not to date these podcasts too much, but we're coming into the, the holiday season, and we know that, yeah. that, that time gets jacked. And so it's it's a matter you want to be consistent with exercise, but, hey, if you're running around trying to get the 20 different kids' activities and yeah. get the house ready for for your mother-in-law, you're just not going to get your best workout. So would that be kind of a worthwhile time to
1: kind of maybe – focus on other things yes and no i I, and what we try to drive in the book is i don't care i think you can do either as long as and here's the key you are consciously aware of what's going on yeah okay cool that's good that's a good point so you look at the situation and you realize i got all this stuff going on i'm not going to have my best workout today okay fine now you can still make the choice i'm still gonna work out but don't hurt yourself don't over push yourself and don't mentally Hurt yourself when you go, you know what? Yeah, boy, I had a shitty day today. I did not hit my score as well. But that's okay. I knew I wasn't going to because had all this stuff going on. And that's fine. You will walk out of that, that exercise having a healthier relationship with your own self and you're not going to have bad things going on in your head. Or you can go, you know what? Because of this, I'm going to do a really condensed workout, maybe some mobility, some whatever it's going to be, just a uh, light 20 minute cycling, something like that. I'm not going to try to beat my score today. Um, there, there's a time and a place for all that stuff, but as long as you have that conscious awareness of going, poof, I slept like crap last night because my baby was up and screaming." I mean, the last two nights my wife has been up all night throwing up, so I haven't slept in two days. And turns out I was in the middle of doing a fast, and so I hadn't eaten since Monday. This is now Thursday, what morning? Something like that. And she's up throwing up, so I'm not sleeping. I'm literally not eating, having a single calorie. And I knew yesterday I went into the lab. I had a couple things to do, and. I had some major stuff on the plate and I knew, you know what, okay, I'm not gonna get all this stuff done. And one of them was a paper I had to submit and you can't make mistakes on things like that. And so I challenged myself, I said, look, you're gonna suck it up right now and you're gonna do A, B and C and you're going to do them perfectly. And there's no excuses, I don't care. Tough it out, like get it done, nobody cares, work harder. But then I got home at five o'clock or something and I thought, we're not gonna have a great workout. We did a little workout, let's take the dogs for a longer walk. And then I'm going to shut it down and I'm going to just not get those other two things done. So I made some concessions, but then the other ones I said, I'm not going to do these and do these half-assed and I'm not going to do them and do them poorly and let myself have the excuse, you're tired. Because I was tired. I'm exhausted right now and I'm hungry and all these things. But I was just trying to be aware of the situation and set realistic expectations. So some of the times I think you can push yourself and say, suck it up, just get it done. But that can't be the whole day. In that case, I knew I wouldn't last the whole day. And I knew by the end of the day, I would either be moving really slowly or probably making mistakes.
0: Well, and I think that's so – I mean you, you talked about expectations, and and I'm going to be sensitive of your time here. That's so funny because I just submitted a piece yesterday for a publication I write for talking about just that, that we need to maybe refocus our expectations and sometimes focus on the process and not the outcome of exercise. Oh, yeah. Like oh, yeah. exercise – you know, I don't know about you, but I'm one of these guys – I personally don't care about six-pack abs or any of that nonsense. I just enjoy swinging the kettlebell every now and then. I enjoy lifting heavy stuff every now and then, you know. How important is it sometimes to focus on the process without really kind of worried about the – I know that kind of gets a little bit into the mental side, but just the process. Like going
1: for the long walk yesterday, didn't that help you just feel better? Oh, my God, yeah. It it helped me feel way better, actually. Um, I was feeling a little bit hungry and kind of mentally getting out there. And I felt way better. It also made my wife literally feel better because she was laying around all day for the last couple of days. And she didn't, you know, she felt terrible. And we're like, let's try a walk. And it turns out she felt way better after we went for a walk. Um, and then the, the secondary and tertiary benefits. Okay, so my dogs tend to get a couple of hours a day at least of exercise. Then they got three hours about yesterday. So they're actually w- much more well-behaved this morning. And so this morning <laughs> I can actually take them for like a 45-minute uh, jog this morning before I hopped on here. And that'll be actually enough to carry them through, and so I'll get more work done today. Because I did so, the total amount of work I got in the last two days actually became equal. Because I was, I, re, I was able to realize yesterday, like, all right, let's not worry about it. Um, but to your, to your real point, yes, the process is is, is almost everything, and, unless you're competing in something. And I think we all should compete in something, uh, whether that is something I do. We do this constantly, where I'll say, okay, um, let's try to uh, get in as, as best conditioning as we can by christmas okay right and then uh you know the, the, the week before we're gonna have a a goal and we're gonna do it on the bike and we're gonna see if we can improve our 30 minute cycling time for this whatever happens to be right and, and so we do this because it's very hard to train without a goal so i do think all people it is simple if they want it to be as simple as that should have a very tangible goal in mind but we don't i'm not focused on that entirely i'm not going to do i'm not going to compromise my back position i'm not going to compromise um much, much else in terms of my health to get that goal. It is, every day it is, well, did you get better at your cycling technique? Did you stay in position longer? Yes or no, right? Were you able to maintain breathing cadence? And when did you, did you keep your breathing patterns, mechanics better for longer today? Well, then that's a win. Um, and then that only is about 30% of our training. And the other 70% is combined of let's just literally make sure we have fun today. And let's make sure that we got better at something today or, you know, we, we burned off some steam. So whatever happens to be, um, I, I give ourselves in the programming that I do for my wife and I and my brother and, and her friend is there are some days when she'll come home or one of them will come home and go, you know what? Let's get the kickboxing bag out. Let's get the, the boxing pads out because I need to get some shit worked out right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. OK, and I don't think like, we don't program. The, those are just like get and, and let the, the aggression get out. Uh, And there's some days where it's like, hey, let's go to the park, take some balls, take the dogs and let's let's figure something out. and Let's do a little relay and have some fun here. And those are all process based things. And then there are some days, like I said, about 30 percent where it's like, here, we have a very specific outcome goal, uh, usually performance based. So um, if you want a different ratio than that, fine. But yeah, I, I do think that a big portion of it should simply be about the process.
0: Well, and we're getting ready to wrap up here. I mean, it's kind of funny you say that because in the back of my mind, I'm a, I'm a recovering rugby player. I played rugby for uh-huh. a number of years and, and in my 40s now, I try to keep myself in shape so I can step on and play a half or if I get a chance to go to an old boys tournament, I can still run and, and not completely yeah. embarrass myself. But then the other reason why why I train and and this is the you know, time that's on is for the zombie apocalypse. I don't need. To <laughs> do it. Yeah, I, I joke about that. You know, obviously, I don't. That's a zero, 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 whatever percent chance of ever happening. But I want to be able to climb. I want to be able to sprint. I want to have some endurance. I want to be, you know, because yeah. heaven forbid that happens. You know, I don't have to be the fastest guy out there. I just need to be faster than the next person. Now, the the, the last yeah. question I'm going to ask a little bit. A lot of my that I try to focus and and what I like having you on and, and um is exercise intensity. Is it good? And should people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s be adding some intensity to their workouts? Because I think a lot of people may think that as they get older, they shouldn't train as hard. But but why, why is that kind of a, a mistaken way to think?
1: The, the fact that
0: sorry, – sorry, can you restate that? Well, yeah, of... I, think, I think sometimes um, as people get a little bit older, they don't think they should train as hard. Obviously, they oh, shouldn't train oh, as oh, hard yeah. as often. But, but why is some high-intensity training good for people throughout the aging process?
1: Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. I mean, boy, (laughs) we could even the whole podcast on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I mean, you pick your poison, whatever, what metric is most important to you? If you want to talk about cardiovascular, you want to talk about bone, you want to talk about muscle, uh, you want to talk about longevity, you want to talk about predictors of mortality. So who's going to die sooner? I mean, you name your game and I could give you answers in all those realms. And I'll just pick um, mortality. I'm just randomly picking one off the top of my head. So you want to understand who's going to live longer. If you look at the data... On what predicts mortality? It's not things like cholesterol level. It's not things like um, your resting heart rate. It's not any of that nonsense that that a physician would tell you at a physical. It is things like maximal leg strength. That is one of the number one most significant predictors of mortality in people who are over fifty or sixty. How strong are your legs? Another predictor: your VO2 max. So, how, what's the basic? Not the same thing, but kind of, you know, the how much oxygen can you use at a maximal heart rate? Uh, these are not things that come with low-intensity exercise. That requires maximal heart rate and that requires maximal leg strength or ish, right? Something heavy-ish. Um, you want to look at what happens to the nervous system. It starts shutting down. All these are are, are you know fixed or at least prevented or attenuated with high-intensity exercise. So it is absolutely mandatory, and you could argue from a health perspective, it is more important for people over the age of 50 to do high-intensity stuff than it is for anybody else. Uh, that has a more direct influence on your life and death and has a more direct influence in your health care costs than anything else does. Far more than low-intensity exercise, far more than physical activity. And that's the data is abundantly clear. I'm not talking about one or two studies. I'm talking about hundreds of studies the last 30 years from dozens of labs across the world, uh, virtually all saying the same thing here. This is this is extremely well-pronounced. So I would say that the, the two pieces of advice I give for uh, people that are working with or are a little bit older – You still need to do the high-intensity stuff, but remember, intensity is relative. So don't compare yourself to when you were 25. So if you squatted 300 pounds when you were 25, don't expect to squat 275 now. (laughs) right? 100% is 100%, or 60% is relative to where you are at now. So as long as it feels kind of heavy now, then that's heavy, and that's good. Um, And also keep in mind that you just need to progress maybe a little bit more cautiously. So don't take as many risks. But the, the idea should be about the same. The progression is just a little bit slower. So when you're 25, you can put on five more pounds in the bar basically every week. Well, when you're 55, maybe that's two or three weeks of the same weight and then up five or maybe up three pounds. And then it's maybe two or three weeks of the same weight and then up. So the progression is maybe a little bit slower, but there still needs to be progression. That's a huge, huge, huge mistake is to not continually try to, to add more or uh, more intensity
0: and that's that's i think where we we'll leave it today because i because i really want to get that message out there that as we age intensity it should be a key component of training and it's not i mean definitely you don't want to overdo it but you want to yeah. have an appropriate application of intensity now i've been looking i've been looking on your website and you have a ton of information on here what's your what's the body of knowledge i mean you have a podcast and, and what else do you do
1: on on body of knowledge if people want more information yeah, so the website and the body of knowledge is a little bit separate, um, but the the basic idea is, um, I'll start with the website. Um, so it's just my name, it's AndyGalpin.com. And basically what that is, is a platform for me to take my entire university curriculum and put it up there for, for free. So I'm trying to give away as much basic exercise, strength training, health, uh, performance, nutrition information as I possibly can. There's no Membership to sign up for. There's no newsletter. There's no email you have to sign up for. It's just all free, and it always will be. Um, there's a Patreon account attached to that if you want to contribute, uh, donate to it. But but it doesn't require anything. And what I'm really honestly trying to do there is the same thing. What you're trying to do with this podcast is is like I think there's some very basic information that helps a lot of people, and I want that information to get out. And I don't think you should have to pay for it. I'm not trying to sell a DVD behind it or an ebook or any garbage like that. Is let's just get people easier information, or access to information that, that could potentially help them. And then within that, sort of the, the, the other platform we built was the Body of Knowledge Podcast. And that's up on iTunes, Stitcher, you know, all those things. And instead of doing a weekly podcast, uh, my friend and colleague, Kenny Kane, who's a stand-up comedian for a long-time professional and has also been a, a strength conditioning coach for about 30 years in the public sector, Uh, we, we, we film that sort of show and it's a serial show. So it's not a weekly show. It only is about nine or 10 episodes a season. And, uh, we only put out a season once or twice a year. So the last one came out in the spring season two is about to come out here in January. And it's only, like I said, nine or 10 episodes and, and it's really crafted and we'll record 30 or 40 hours of audio and then re-engineer that and cut that back down to about 45 minutes per episode. Um, and so, what it is is it allows us to tell stories. And, for example, I think one of the ones that your listeners might like is we told the story of how the nutrition field, the supplement field, got built <laughs> and and why it is where it is. Um, and the same thing with the strength, you made the joke earlier about how, you know it, when we all got started working out it was because we picked up a bodybuilding book, right? Well, that's entirely true. When we actually told the story of why that occurred. And how that is completely shaped and misshaped and caused so much confusion with what people think in the, in the world is, is everything you think you hear, you know, your exercise and nutrition rules, hey, never do this, always do this. Almost all those came from bodybuilding. And so they're true if you're trying to maximize muscle growth, but they're not true if you have really virtually any other goal, or they may not be true. So that's the type of things we try to lay out to help people understand the basics of marketing um, behind supplement companies with generally things like... Uh, you know every supplement diet book is is effectively the same thing. It's start off by by introducing you to a problem that really actually doesn't exist, and then telling you that we actually have the single solution to that problem, and then letting you feel like we're and, and so that that once you understand you're like oh my god every single infomercial every commercial every drug commercial or radio ad they're all the same thing like are you tired and fatigued yeah well who isn't tired and fatigued We have the single solution to you. A brand new thing just came out that's never before been able to, like, all this is nonsense. And they really didn't say anything. They created a disease that didn't really exist. uh, And then they created this single solution. And, oh, it turns out they have it for $9.99. So I think it's important when people understand things like that, they're much more empowered to go, oh, okay, I feel less trapped and less pressured to do these things. You know, I can make decisions on my own. So that's really what we're trying to do is help people empower themselves so that have to worry about the minutia as much and and be so confused. Well, I, Dr. Galpin, number one, I appreciate what
0: you're doing. and, and number two, <clears throat> excuse me, I appreciate the message because I really I do think having worked in commercial fitness for for almost two decades now, we definitely we we overcomplicate it, we we overthink it and we bombard the consumers with way too much information. And I like the stuff that you're putting out. it's it's concise, it's clear, it's evidence based. And so for people listening, if you want to really, understand how your muscles work uh this is a guy to go to and if you want to understand the best way to use fitness technology for your needs definitely check out his book unplugged i'll have a link to both your website and uh and
1: the book on amazon down in the show notes below awesome man. really appreciate it and like i said it's it's an honor being on you've had some fantastic guests on and people that i really admire in the field like some of those i mentioned earlier so good on you for doing this all right well i appreciate that dandy thanks a lot take care yep
0: I don't know about you, but I could geek out on that stuff all day. I love talking about adaptation. You know, how do our muscles adapt to the exercise that we do? You know, because when we look at it, and I try to remind people that all the time, when we look at it, exercise is physical stress applied to the body. If we apply stress the wrong way, we're going to get hurt. If we apply too much stress too quickly, we're going to get hurt. If we, you know, don't give our body enough time to adapt to the stress that we're applying, We could overtrain, and overtraining is the easiest way to get derailed from your goals. And this really was. I mean, I hadn't actually, to be 100% honest, you know, Andy, if you're listening to this, you know, I hadn't heard of you before I heard you on the Joe Rogan podcast a couple months ago. I I was flying. I was doing a workshop for somebody. I flew in and had to drive a third of the way across the state of Ohio, and I was listening to Joe Rogan's podcast and, you know, was listening to Andy's interview on it, and really was like, man, this guy is hitting, I mean, obviously he's going to do that. He's, he's a PhD in, in exercise science in, in, you know, in kinesiology. He works as a professor in the field. So obviously he's going to be right on the money, but it's always exciting. You know, as a geek, as a self-admitted exercise science geek, it's always exciting to hear other people talk about it. And when you listen to, you know, you know that they're hitting the nail on the head. So once I heard him on the Joe Rogan podcast, I was like, I want to have him on mine and talk specifically about how we can use exercise to affect or mitigate the aging process. And just a side note, if anybody out there knows Joe Rogan, I would love to have Joe on the podcast. Because I don't know if you realize it, but Joe's podcast covers a lot of fitness issues. And Joe's been doing martial arts and been doing judo for a number of years. I was a fan of his podcast. I listened to it. And he's always talking about fitness. And I would love to have Joe on my podcast to talk about how he uses fitness and how he maintains his fitness despite his schedule. He has a gnarly schedule. Between you know UFC stuff, between his you know being on the road, you know everything he does, he's able to maintain his fitness. So if anybody out there knows Joe, um, you know I got I found out about Andy through Joe's podcast, and I would love to interview Joe. So back to my wrap wrap up with Dr. Galpin. Again, we hadn't spoken before today, and I've been promoting this. You know, undulating periodization is a concept that you do different types of workouts within a week. You know, block periodization is you do three weeks, you know, you change your intensity every three or four weeks and you take a week off every three or four weeks. And that week off allows your body to adapt and recover from the stresses of training. That's block periodization. Every three or four weeks, you get a little bit harder. There are a lot of models out there, just just a very rough overview. Undulating periodization is where you might go high intensity one day, low intensity another day, and moderate intensity another day. You know, somebody out there called it muscle confusion and made a ton of money, you know, a ton of money marketing that. But I've been promoting a, a kind of a, a form or model of undulating periodization that calls for a high force production one day. So on a Monday, you do a heavy strength day or you do a heavy power day. You do a lot of explosive force production training. The next day, Tuesday, would be a body weight day. That's where you do just a body weight workout. Maybe you do suspension training. Maybe you do yoga. Maybe you do a Matt Pilates class. Maybe you do a dance class, but you just move with your body. So day one, high force production. Day two, just body weight no external resistance. Day three would be your energy system day, what we traditionally call cardio. Well, let me tell you this, you're doing cardio right now listening to this. If, especially if you're exercising and doing cardio, that's a whole other thing. But cardio to me and to a lot of exercise geeks, cardio just means you're breathing. Cardio means you're breathing oxygen into your body and your heart's pumping out oxygenated blood. You know, your lungs are placing oxygen into your blood. Heart is pumping oxygenated blood around to the working muscles, which if you're sitting in your car right now, you're not really doing that much work. But anyway, anytime I think of, of training, exercise, I think of energy pathway. Steady state is for our long-term energy pathway. High intensity training is for our, our immediate, our ATPC, our ATP PC, or our phosphogen pathway. You know, a, you know, moderate, you know, moderate intensity interval training could be for glycolysis, breakdown of glycogen or carbohydrate, either with or without oxygen. But so day one, heavy force production, either strength or power. heavy force, external resistance. Day two, body weight. Maybe do body weight, strength, push-ups, pull-ups, maybe you do TRx, maybe you do dance. It doesn't really matter. just something you know lower intensity. And then day three, you do energy system. You could do steady state. You could go for a walk. If you do high intensity, then day four is an off day. If you do low intensity, then guess what? Day four, you can go right back into the heavy force production, but that gives you a three-day split. Day one, heavy, high force production, either strength or power. Day two, body weight. Day three, energy pathway. Steady state, you know interval training, either low-intensity interval training or high-intensity interval training. And you can do high-intensity steady state too, but just look at your intensity. You don't want to do high-intensity training all the time. That's the point. You know Especially if you're over the age of 35. You know, if you're over the age of 35, you should limit your high-intensity intervals or high-intensity training to no more than two or three times per week. Unless you're getting awesome sleep, unless you have awesome nutrition. And even then, you only want to do high-intensity training no more than four times per week. Because guess what? It's stress on your body. And your body doesn't know the difference between work stress, relationship stress, sitting in traffic stress, and exercise stress. Your body just knows stress. Too much stress applied to the body without appropriate recovery ain't going to get you the results you're looking for, folks. So, you know, with that, I really appreciate Dr. Galpin's time. I'm going to have links down to his his website, his blog, and obviously his book, uh, Unplugged. It will be down in the show notes below. Hopefully you enjoyed our conversation. I certainly got a lot out of it. I have a couple other guests coming up that I know you're really going to enjoy. If you're liking All About Fitness, if you're enjoying these podcasts, please do me a favor. Take a moment, just give me a review, whether it's on iTunes, Stitcher, or however you're listening to it. Let other people know that you're getting a lot out of this podcast. I'm putting it out there because I want, just like Andy says, I want to get good information out there. I want to give you guys a good source of information about where to go. That's all I'm trying to do. If you have any questions, if you'd like to, you know, any topics you'd like to propose, any guests you'd like to put me in touch with, Pete at Pete com That's Pete at Pete com. And can definitely tweet at me, Pete MC underscore fitness. Twitter is PeteMC underscore fitness. And my Instagram is Pete McCall underscore fitness. On Instagram it's Pete McCall underscore fitness. Got big news, and if you're still listening to this, thanks for tuning in. But I got big news, I'm working on my first book, and I'll have more information coming on that before too long. But in 2018, it's gonna see the release of my first book about exercise. Thanks for stopping by. Have a great day, and I look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.